Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. We are turning our attention to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts as we remain standing for just a moment in reverence of reading the Word of God. The 16th chapter of the book of Acts. We are going to join in the middle of the story, the 27th verse. Paul and Silas has been put in prison and they have prayed and sang and there has been a great earthquake, a shaking, and no doubt this prison has been busted open, cells are open. It is a dangerous place as well as a chaotic place. And the 27th verse introduces us to the keeper of the prison. And it says that the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Draw your attention to verse number 30. A trembling prison keeper devastated by the sights, sounds and circumstances around him ask a question what must I do to be saved and I preach today from this subject the one question of a lost man the one question of a lost man would you ask the Lord to help us now Jesus I'm asking you, Lord, in the next little while that you'd enable us to break the bread of life, to speak, oh God. I'm asking you, Lord, that you'd just take your word and you'd get it in our heart and we would respond to that word and it would touch us, dear God, in a very vibrant and a very powerful way. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you lift your hands and your voices with me one more time in praise and honor? To our great King, and would you make a joyful sound of adoration to the Lord today. I thank you now, Lord. I give you praise. Worship. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this house right now. I said the Holy Ghost is in this house. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. Questions play a very important role in all of our lives Questions are the avenue through which we gather information. It's by asking questions, requesting particular points of information and knowledge that uh, we, we take on what we need to know for particular tasks that we are conducting ourselves in. Questions begin at a, at a, at a very early age of life. Any young parent sitting here today that has toddlers at home knows that particular moment in your household when that 
toddler suddenly becomes curious and uh, he or she begins to ask questions and those questions come one right after the next. Somebody said that curious children at this beginning point where they are seeking information that there is a staggering 73 questions a day on average. And I hear some parent here to say it's more like 173. Who, what, why, where, when, how drives parents absolutely crazy. From time to time as these little tykes, they seek to know what kind of world that they've been introduced into and why mama and why daddy. But uh, may I tell you for all of you young parents that it don't end at toddlers. Uh, It just gets a little more intense. For when toddlers become teens, there are still plenty of questions, except the questions just become a little more difficult to answer. It's questions about love and questions about relationship and sexuality and all of those things that teens are dealing with and wrestling with and trying to find out information about. And What, what I find interesting is this, that at this awkward age of teens trying to find information that that uh, there there are somewhere around 44% of teens that would like to be able to get the information to the the very the very facts of life and how life unfolds and they like to get it from their parents but don't feel like that they can access their parents nor ask of them questions and so we live in a world today where teens are not asking their parents the tough questions of life and they're seeking answers from their friends and the internet becomes the door of opportunity to gather information and let me just tell parents here today that if you don't keep the door open to your your teens as they get older for them to be able to ask the tough questions of life, they will find answers somewhere and they'll get it and they'll get the wrong answers and they'll get the wrong direction. So if you want to take time to inform your teens, you need to take time to have relationship and allow them to access you So because they're going to ask the question somewhere and you want them to ask it of, of mom and dad but the questions don't stop (laughs) you'd think that once you get out of the toddler stage and who what why where when and how and you get into the difficult area of the teen years trying to discover how life unfolds that somehow or another you'd finally get a grasp on life but those questions even get more intense as you move into your 20-somethings and when you get into 20-somethings it's not the frivolous questions that the toddler is asked and it's not always the question that the teen is asked but now they're trying to figure out what's my purpose and what where I go in life and where do I work and 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 and, and uh, my future and all of these questions are there and let me just pause to to say to you that that may be well past the 20 something age that I hate to burst your mature bubble this morning that makes you think that you have arrived and know it all but questions don't ever end person that quits asking questions, they cease to grow and they are in a very dangerous point and place. 
And so questions continue to come. Even as you get older, because each phase of life that we are introduced to opens a new world where we have never walked before, a path we have never trod before. And as much time as we may have spent preparing for each stage of life, we are unprepared for that moment. And questions come, and we have to ask, and we need knowledge, and we need information, and it's only a fool that never asks ask a question. It's only those who are not wise that doesn't ponder to say which direction do I go and how does this work and how does that operate. And yet there is a point in our life where all other questions of our life pale. All of the things we've inquired of from the time that we were toddlers to the time that we were teens and twenty-somethings and then reached into the other phases of our life. There is a point in life that we will all come to and an injunction that we will find ourselves at that seems to make all other questions insignificant and unimportant for I must inform us on this subject Sunday morning that we are not just body, we are not just human flesh, and our dealings is not just with this world and the things of life, but there is a part of us that has been put there from the time of our conception. It's called our soul, and our soul has questions that our body And our soul has things that it ponders that our flesh doesn't inquire of. And so there comes a point in our life where our soul rises up and says, I need to know some things and there are some answers I need to have. You understand that as we look into these things and we inquire, there are questions that we have about God and His relationship with with humanity. And one of the great questions that we often ask about God is simply this. Probably nobody here has asked this question, but there are those in the world that have asked this question. In fact, there's even books, entire books written, devoted to this particular question, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Has anybody ever asked that question? Ah, yes, we have. And even God's great prophets have asked that question. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse number 2, the great prophet stands and says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And that will not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou will not save. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 12 and 1, he says, Let me talk with thee of thy judgments. God, you and I just need to have a little conversation about how you, how you operate. He says, Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? I don't get this, God. How's how's all this working out? Wherefore are they happy that deal very treacherously? I got some questions, some things that I would really like to know. And so Paul interjects in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 14. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness or is there injustice? 
justice with, with God. And if our question is not about God's dealing with man and his perceived inequitableness and his lack of righteous judgment, we have questions concerning the very personal presence of God. From Job to the psalmist, we ask questions about God's relationship with us on a Basis, Job says in Job 13 and verse number 24, he asked the question of the Almighty. He says, Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? God, I want to know why you are treating me the way you're treating me and why things are happening the way they are. And the psalmist says in Psalms 84, 88 and 14, he says, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest Hidest thou thy face from me? It's just some questions that I have about God's equitableness and his dealing with me and his presence but there remains yet another question that my soul wants to be made aware of and wants knowledge of and it's the question that comes from our scripture text this morning. What must I do to be saved. This question and this question alone rises like oil in water and it separates itself from all other questions that humanity has. It's greater than any question that a curious toddler might ask of and it's greater than any prying of teen and it's greater than any question of a 20 something or at any stage of our life and it goes well beyond questions we have about the judgment and the righteousness and the equity of God. It is the most important question of life. It is the question that is supreme to all other questions. It is the question that somewhere you and I must ask it at all times. What must I do to be saved? Understand that the man of our text has been brought face to face with eternity. He's been brought to the point where he feels life is being snuffed out. He's standing on the very precipice of a place where he's never stood before in a future that remains uncertain. And his question now is not, God, why do you allow this to happen? And why do you allow that to happen? And it's not, God, why are you hiding your face? And it's not the curious question of a toddler, but it's the one lone question of a man that feels his lostness and he says what must I do to be saved he comes to the point where he realizes I am lost and there is an eternity he comes to the place where he realizes that there must be not a general answer but a definite answer answer to salvation that there is not just some flung out statement that covers all bases but that there must be a definite answer what must 
I do to be saved. For when man stands in the place that this man of Acts chapter 16 is standing in, and when he stands at the precipice of eternity, and he stands at the threshold of a world beyond, and he stands in a place where he realizes life is about to be snuffed out, and he's losing everything, and he don't know where he's heading, the one question that man's going to ask is not what is the stock market doing and he's not going to ask the question where the NASDAQ's at and he's not going to ask the question when's my next promotion coming and he doesn't want to know what his account balance is the one question that a lost man will invariably ask as he stands facing eternity is what must I do to be saved because at that point I don't care what the NASDAQ is doing and I don't care what the stock market's doing and I don't care what the balance is in the bank account and I really don't care what my next promotion's going to be what I care if at that moment is what's going to happen in the world that is to come and I need an answer and I need it now so now I become the question of a toddler what must I do and I ask the question of a teen what must I do and I ask the question of a 20 something what must I do to be saved for it is the question that stands paramount to all other questions it's what I must know it's what I have to have knowledge of everything else pales in significance I don't have to know what yesterday resulted in and I don't have to know what all of life is going to become but I do must know what it takes to be saved and so I ask the question today what must I do to be saved I believe that there's a path in life. I believe there is a particular road that every man takes that brings him at some point, at some time, to ask this one lone question of a lost man. What must I do to be saved? I believe that we all arrive at that point at different places. I believe that there are particular events that happen that brings that question to the forefront of our mind. Obviously, the man of our story this morning, he's been brought to a breaking point. This is an amazing moment for this man because remember, he is a Roman soldier. He is schooled and taught in how to be severe and how to handle life and not to buckle under the pressures that he encounters in his everyday activity. He lives in a Roman world where harshness is a reality and he's learned to live with that harshness as a reality in his own life. He's learned how to become hard. No doubt he may personally at one time or another had taken the whip, raised it over its head and lashed it upon the back of some common criminal as he watched them wince in pain and the blood would drip from their back. He was a 
hardened man. He was a man that knew how to hold his emotions in check. He was a man that knew how to not buckle under the pressure. No doubt he had wrestled men who were big and strong and brought them to the ground as they would attempt to to flee captivity and break out of a prison cell. This man was a hardened man and a man that had lived with a calloused heart, a heart that was not easily moved by the events and circumstances around him. But we see him in this verse this morning. Scripture says this hardened soldier, this man that has been steeped in the hardness of life and given to the harshness of living, this man came trembling, asking one question and one question alone, what must I do to be saved? It's in that moment that he sheds his hardened exterior. It's at that moment that he sheds that roughened appearance that he had cloaked himself with. It's at that moment that he allowed his emotions to rise to the surface. It's at that moment that he allowed himself to buckle and to bow under the moment and trembling. He who had lifted a whip, no doubt, just days before, a man who had had roughened up men and criminals and placed them in cells now, kneels on his knees and he's trembling and he's asking one lone question, what must I do to be saved? For ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you today, God has a way designed to bring us to the point where we will ask the most important question of our life. What must I do to be saved? Those that have sat hardened through church services, those that have sat unmoved and unstirred, those that have handled the heaviest of presence of His great glory, and those that have sat dry-eyed and unable to respond, they reach a point in life somewhere, they reach a junction at a road somewhere where they bow, trembling with tears flowing down their cheeks, and they say what must I do to be saved it's the most important question there is no other question nothing even rises to the level of it I gotta know I must know there's no other information that's as important I must know what it takes to be saved Somebody lift your hands with me right now. Would you tilt your face toward heaven? And can we allow the presence of His great glory to flood this building at this moment? Ah, God, let us ask that question today. Let us ask that question on this Sunday morning. What must I do to be saved? We find in the book of Acts that there are at least three occasions where one form or another of this question was asked. It gives to us insight in what it takes to bring a lost man to ask the most important question of his life. It begins in the second chapter of the book of Acts. It's the story of the day of Pentecost. They have gathered from nations around and they are standing now on the streets of Jerusalem. And God has miraculously fulfilled the promise of Joel chapter 2 and verse number 28. And He's poured out the Spirit upon all flesh. 
sons and daughters are prophesying and God is moving greatly and questions have been asked of what meaneth this and they're all amazed by that and Peter stands emboldened now by the infilling of the Holy Ghost and he begins to preach a apostolic sermon. I, I don't know. I don't know if he preaches like I preach. I, I don't know if he got animated. I don't know if he swung his hands, if he spit and sputtered, if he stomped his feet, if he clapped his hands. I, I don't know if he paced back and forth, but there was something about his message that day that zeroed in. There was something about his message that day that got a hold of a heart and touched a life as he began to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth, that it went about doing good, and that they had, by wicked hands, they had crucified the Lord of glory. But in spite of their crucifixion of him, that God had made him both Lord and Christ. And scripture says when they heard the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37 and they had heard of their responsibility involved in his crucifixion and how they had missed their Messiah. Scripture says that when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do. There's something about the power of conviction. There's something about this little emotion that gets a hold of our heart. Conviction is the troubling or the awakening of our conscience. It's that thing that begins to needle us and tells us we need to change courses and we need to alter direction. Conviction is that thing that messes with our inner conscience that begins to disturb us and take away our ease and our rest and say it's time to consider finality. It's time to look at eternity. It's time to ponder what you must do. May I say to you that somewhere in our life's journey, God will bring us to the point of conviction. He will bring us and he will deal with our heart. He will deal with our mind. He will deal with our heart. He'll trouble our spirit. It may be, it may be conviction that we experience in a church service under the, the move of the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's during a song that is being sung and the presence of God is falling so heavily and we just feel gripped by this, this, this spirit and, and and we feel like we just want to break out and we want to get a hold and we feel the pushing and the prodding of the Holy Ghost or it may be in the privacy of our home that God just begins to kind of prod us a little bit, needle us a little bit and begins to speak into our soul but it's the conviction of God that begins to draw us and he begins to work on us to bring us to that one lone question that's more important than any other question and it's the question what must I do to be saved? Can I preach to somebody on this Sunday morning don't squander conviction don't squander conviction don't pass conviction off don't ignore
ignore conviction. You can grip conviction out of your life. You can ignore conviction until it's no longer convicting. You can push conviction off till it no longer presses in. You can reach your place where conviction no longer deals. What I can I say to this sweet congregation on this Sunday morning if conviction is trying to bring us to that one lone question, then let conviction have its perfect work. Let conviction draw me. Let conviction get me there. If it's got to wake me up in the night, let conviction wake me up. If conviction's got to make me miserable during the day, then let conviction conviction get me to that one question. What must I do to be saved? Does anybody know what I'm talking about on this Sunday morning? Conviction's trying to get me to the most important question. What must I do to be saved? Jesus tells the story, the little parable in the book of Matthew chapter 21. He said there was a certain man that had two sons. He comes to one and he said, would you go into my field and work? And he told him, he said, no, dad, I won't go. I'm doing my own thing today. I'm going my own way. I'm walking my own path. Don't bug me. Don't, 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 don't get on me. Leave me alone. Just let me do what I want to do. I don't want to go work in your old field. I want to go do what I want to do. I got ambitions and I got goals and I got places I want to go and people I want to see and things I want to involve myself in. I really, I really don't want to go to the field, but the story is Jesus said that the son, when he went out with his arrogance and, and his and his cockiness and his stubbornness and his refusal of the invitation of his father to work in the field, that suddenly scripture says that he repented in Matthew 21 and 29. He afterwards said, I will not. Or he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented. After he walked out from his daddy, he got to bothering him. He, things got to kind of needling him. He got to feeling a little bad about it. He got to feeling about his response and his attitude. And he got to, he got to bother him a little bit. And he said, oh God, oh I, I shouldn't have done my daddy that way. I shouldn't have responded like that. And conviction brought him and conviction turned him and conviction brought him back to a place where he comes back to daddy and he says, Daddy, where's the field? I will go. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have told God no last year. You may have told him no last week. You may have told him no in the last few moments, but I feel conviction walking into the house on this Sunday morning knocking on somebody's door talking to somebody's life and it's time for somebody to turn around and say I repent I repent I want to know what I must do to be saved will somebody lift your hand to heaven would you tilt your face toward glory I feel the presence of God it is in this sanctuary right now I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. Conscience is being awakened. Conscience is being awakened. Conviction is walking in to this place right now. There's nothing else that matters. What must I do? What must I do? There's a second thing that brings me to that sobering question that's all important in my life. It's found in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. It's the story of one that we know 
more more readily as Paul, but his name was Saul at the time. Scripture tells us that he was stubbornly pursuing his own path and going his own direction. He believed in his heart he was right. He believed that he was doing what was right for God, but he was on a wrong path and he was going the wrong direction because you can, you can, you can feel you're right, but you can be wrong being right. And he was on the wrong path and he was going the wrong direction. And the Bible says that there was a light that shined out of heaven and smote him to the ground. And when he was smitten to the ground, Scripture says in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 4, that he fell to the earth and he heard a voice that saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do there comes a point in life where there's divine confrontation now it's not just conviction it's divine confrontation where you literally bump into God and you got no place else to go and you got no place else to turn and God just boldly looks at you and says I've been fighting you and I've been pushing you and I've been pressing you and I've been trying to get you to go in this direction and you just won't do it and suddenly you're brought to that point and that moment where you got one question to ask and it's what must I do to be saved can I tell somebody in this building on this Sunday morning I feel in the Holy Ghost you're bumping into a God that loves you you're bumping into a God that just won't let you go you're bumping into a God that won't let you walk off you're bumping into a God that's got his arms out he's ready to wrap them around you and he's waiting for you to come to the most important moment of your life what must I do to be saved. It's that moment of divine confrontation where I can't keep fighting and I can't keep bucking and I can't keep tossing. I've got to ask the question, what's it going to take for me to be saved? But there's a third thing that brings us to this all important and sobering question. It's in our text this morning. It's not conviction and it's not divine confrontation in and of itself. But it's the crumbling conditions of life. The jailer now, his world has just fallen apart. Everything that he thought held life together is busted. The foundations of life are moved. The walls that once made him secure are gone. The things that he once had confidence are vanquished from his sight and he sees nothing but rubble and rock and he sees nothing but emptiness and in his crumbling conditions of life he asks the one important question that a lost man will invariably ask what must I do to be saved may I say to you ladies and gentlemen on this Sunday morning that God has a way of getting us to that question because somewhere Life is going to just fall apart. It's just going to fall apart. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It just crumbles. All the stuff we thought was secure and all the stuff we thought we had together and all the stuff we thought was our very 
source of foundation and solidity. It's just gonna, it's just gonna crumble and it's not gonna be anything there. And all of life we've tried to put on this little mask that we're tough and we're strong and we can handle anything that comes in life. Oh, I wish I could preach prophetically right now to somebody. There will come a point in our lives somewhere where our toughness and our austere nature and all of the things that we've cloaked our emotions with will not hold us and we'll come trembling and we'll come trembling and say, God, I need you. It may be at the bedside of a child. It may be at the bedside of a spouse. It may be I, I pulled out. I, I pulled out of the, the 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 street yesterday onto Robinson or onto to to Twelfth Street, and I, I was making a right hand turn, and there was somebody. I, I think they were. I think I think somebody had pulled up beside of me trying to turn left, trying to turn left onto to Twelfth. All I remember is is when I turned right, just as I turned, I heard this loud. Explosion! I'm, I'm whipping my head back just enough to see three cars careen in opposite directions, one into the field. And I watched in that split second as the tires of that pickup truck came out from underneath the front end of it. And I watched its shocks and struts set out there in the open. And I watched a car as it began to fill up with airbags inside. And just as it flashed before me, because life can come to a moment where it crumbles in front of us and we don't even realize it's coming and we don't even realize that it's happening but in that moment in that moment there's one question I've got there's one thing I want to know it's not what my bottom line is it's not what my house is worth it's not what my car's worth it's not what the NASDAQ and the stock market's doing there's one thing I want to know God what must I do what must I do saved. It is in that moment. It is in that hour that we're standing in that I need an answer. I've got to have an answer. Because when you come to that point, when you've asked the greatest question that could ever be asked, and it's the only one on your mind, I need an answer. i got to have an answer. I just, I just did this yesterday. Kind of had a little fun doing it. Hey Siri, what must I do to be saved? Yeah, I thought so. Hey Siri. What must I do to be saved? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> hey Siri, what must I do to be saved? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> hey Siri, what must I do to be saved? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand. Because when you come to the lone question of life, and you come to the most important question, you don't want to just ask anybody. You don't want to ask somebody they don't know. They can't give you an answer. With this world crumbling around him, 
He looked up at Paul. He said, there's something about you, Paul. I've heard even the devil say that you know how to show the way to salvation. I've heard your testimony how you were brought out of a ritualism and out of a law that there was no hope in and how you was brought into the power of the gospel. Can you tell me, Paul, what I must do to be saved? Because when you want an answer to the one lone question, you better make sure you find somebody that has experienced the power of the gospel. You better make sure you find somebody that knows the answer so that they can tell you. And Paul looks at him and he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now hear me, the book of Acts chapter 16 does not give to us verbatim what Paul related to this Philippian jailer. We know the Philippian jailer was baptized and yet in Paul's dialogue, at least recorded, there's no information that Paul told him about baptism. So evidently he must have and it just didn't get recorded. So you can't use the totality of just believe to say that's what I need to be saved. But if you'll take all three incidences and you'll put them together, you can find an answer of what it takes to be saved for Paul relating his own conversion in the 22nd chapter in the 16th verse of the book of Acts said when Ananias came to him he said arise wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord and when you come to the book of Acts when they asked Peter what shall we do Peter looked at them in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 and he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost so when I'm standing in that lone moment when nothing else matters and there is nothing else that makes a difference what do I need to do as I step from this world into this world I must believe that he is the only propitiation that his atonement and his atonement alone can wash away my sins I must repent of my sins I must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what matters when you're standing in the ruins of life. That's what matters. What I like is this. Scripture simply says in the 34th verse of Acts chapter 16, a man that had been trembling a man that came amid his world crumbling. It says that when he had brought them into his house, he set meat for before them and rejoiced, believing in God. Now this is what I want to know. There was an earthquake in Philippi, was there not? I was in California here a few, just a few weeks back. It's 10.30 at night, 11, somewhere along there. I'm sitting in bed. I'm reading. When the wall I'm leaning up against violently shook, my first response was, it felt like, because it was a thud, I thought maybe the people in the room next door had fallen against the wall. 
But then all of a sudden, I felt the next pop and the sidewall, the outside wall of that room begin to move and the curtains begin to swing back and forth. The subject the next morning in the meeting where I was at was, did you feel that? Did you feel it? Miles away, they felt it. When in Philippi, that earthquake hit and it devastated that jail cell. I just got a feeling that when he walked into his house, there may have very well been a crack in the wall. There may very well have been a door that wouldn't swing shut. There may very well have been damage at his own house after the violence of that earthquake. But when he walked in with the answer to one question in life, it wasn't, oh my, my house. It's, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing in what God has done in my life. Because when you know everything's all right between you and Him, when you know everything's all right between you and Him, it just don't matter. It just don't matter what other mess there is in life. You can stand rejoicing. Oh, would you stand with me now all across this building? And would somebody lift your hands to heaven? And would you tilt your face toward glory? Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. God has come with a specific purpose on this Sunday morning. He's come with a specific purpose. He's come with a specific purpose in this building right now. For we are standing in that epic hour and that moment where we can ask no other question but what must I do to be saved? We're standing in that hour right now where there's nothing else that makes a difference. I just got to know what it takes to be saved. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this building right now. Now God, you have directed me of the Holy Ghost. And I feel your unction and your anointing in this house right now. You have already showed yourself mighty and strong across this building. You're speaking to hearts and lives right now. And I pray, sweet Holy Ghost, that you have your way. And God, we'll come to that epic moment where nothing else matters but what we must do to be saved. Where every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this building. This does not save you. This does not save you. But you would just like to acknowledge that God's talking to your heart. And He's dealing with your soul. Would you just slip a hand up? By doing so, say, would you pray for me? God bless these right now. God bless these. Thank you. God bless these. God's talking to your heart now. He's talking to your soul on this Sunday morning. You feel a pull and a call and a tug of the Holy Ghost in this building right now. You feel God speaking to your heart. I'm asking you just to step out from where you're at and down the aisle toward this altar. And I'm asking you just to stand or kneel here, whatever you're comfortable with. But I'm asking you to present yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ on this Sunday morning that says, God... Above everything else, i got to be saved. 
God, there's nothing else that matters right now. I got, I got one question on my mind, Lord. I got to be. I must be. I got to be saved. That's it from wherever you're standing, sir. While well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, wherever you're at, ma'am, God's talked to you today. He's talked to your life. He has spoken deeply unto you. He's nodding and towards you and He's nudging you and prodding you to take steps and courses maybe you have never taken before. But you need to repent of your sins. There's water here today. We can baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost belongs to you today. It's a promise. You can receive it before you walk out of this building on this Sunday morning. God's ready to do a work in your life. You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located in Norman, Oklahoma. We are located at 3221 North Porter Avenue, Norman, Oklahoma, 73071. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.awcnorman.com. You can call us at 405-329-1285 or email us at info at awcnorman.com. We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.